Hello, welcome to the first episode of the Three States of Sound podcast. Uh, we couldn't be more thrilled to bring this uh, this podcast to you, something that we hope will lend a, uh, a, a unique voice to the space of music podcasting. This is our first episode, and as such, we are we we're probably going to work out some kinks uh, at the beginning here uh, and see how this flows. But really, this... Uh, this podcast, it's not, it's not sort of a traditional music, just bringing you bits of music or music reviews. Uh, we really, as, uh, as three guys who are just huge fans of music, taking our, 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 our three unique perspectives on the culture surrounding music, uh, the stories that we've, that we've, uh, brought to our own lives around music, uh, and then, uh, and then sort of sort of drawing out those stories from you as well and kind of bringing a what does what does music mean to you uh perspective uh to the world of, of music podcasting and for this episode for this first episode kind of along that same theme we uh we were thinking about the beginning the beginning for everyone what is that 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 something that tells a story about your music life. Now we all go through, of course, listening to the things that are that are that are popular and our friends listen to. Certainly, our our, our parents and other relatives bring bits of music to our lives. But there's there's that moment. There's that album. There's that song. There's that experience that you have with music that makes it your own. That really starts your own story. And just recently, I was I was I was watching. Uh, a YouTube video it was a it was a wonderful discussion with Questlove and David Byrne about you know a, a, about things that are considered classics like classic albums and how oftentimes people feel like well if those are being identified as classics and they don't resonate with me what does that say about me as a music listener and David Byrne rightly mentions that that's that's kind of a horrible way to to approach music. You may not get everything. You may not like everything, but certainly you have your own story. You have your own experience with music that, 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 is, meaning, that is meaningful to you. And I think we all have those stories. So as we kick off this first episode, uh, we have here three guys. And as, as you could read from our, our tagline and, and our social, we're, we're separated by geography. Uh, uh, Josh is based in Arkansas. Uh, Derek is based in Michigan. And I am currently based in the state of Montana. What's bringing us together is just this love of discovery, this love of music discovery. And as we get into this, uh, we hope you enjoy hearing these, these, these perspectives uh, on music. And, and hopefully you can join in this conversation with us because that's absolutely what we want to hear. We want to hear how we can assist or how we can be a part of your music discussion. As we get into this, uh, this conversation, again, we we all have kind of identified what this beginning point is for us, uh, and I think uh, I think we've all kind of decided on an on, on an album, if I remember correctly. All of us all of us had uh, decided to choose an album, and uh, maybe we can start with uh, start with Derek here. Just tell us what you, what what you chose and how that particular piece of music or album has impacted your life and. And why you consider that sort of your beginning? Did we draw straws for this? Because I don't remember drawing the short straw. Um, <laughs> for me, it was uh, 
for me, it would have to be uh, the music that my mom listened to. My dad didn't, my dad listened to the radio, was whatever was on, that's what he was listening to at the time. Uh, that was, that's what he liked or whatever. But my mom was more particular <laughs> about the music that, that she listened to. It, it vacillated between, which is a, kind of an interesting combination, but it, it vacillated between gospel music, country music, and soul music. One of the the albums, one of the arts that really stood out to me was 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 Al Green, and it was a 1972 album. I'm still in love with you, mm. and that was like I can hear my mom having that uh, record on and, and singing to that record, and just you know chilling and vibing to Al Green. As far as artists go, that's not really a bad first introduction <laughs> not at all into music <laughs> at all <laughs> so yeah that was the album for me that really uh kind of set things off and kind of made me kind of aware of course music was always around me but that was the album where i think i actually and made me uh interested and the music as to what was going on, what was being said, how it was being sung, and and that kind of thing. And then my mom's uh, reaction to the music. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that was the the pivotal album for me. Yeah, the, the, you, when you um, when you mentioned the three genres at the top, uh, it got me thinking. I mean, like that is a wonderful uh, base of storytelling <laughs> to to kind of to kind of work from. To, to, to sort of build from I mean those three genres that you you, you can't get uh, you can't get any better storytelling than out of those three uh, so what a wonderful place for you to to begin especially with Al Green his body of work and and, and, and his and his own story the different phases that he went through like uh, and and I know th there was a time right that Al Green like absolutely refused to to, to sing any of his old songs he was He's, he sort of got himself right. specifically in, in a in a gospel place, and 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 I and I believe that it was it was well over a decade, was it not that that uh, that Al Green would only sing those those songs? Yeah, yeah, and and kind of ironically, yeah. uh, with the passing of Little Richard recently, he went through a similar spell where when he he came out when he was huge. And then uh, I think it was a shorter period of time, like a three or four year period where he just uh, he became a, a preacher and he was just doing gospel. He, he, he just renounced he, he renounced uh, the, the, the rock and roll music that he was singing and, and, and called it the devil's music yeah. and refused to sing it. Uh, and then, of course, we know that didn't last. <laughs> and he, and he, and he, he came back. Um, yeah, it's kind of like uh, they were Radiohead <laughs> before Radiohead. So Al Green and Little Richard were the uh, the first hipsters refusing to play their. It, you know, it does it does make you think uh, what type of music potentially could have been created, or what, what we would have been uh, witness to had artists had a viable option of self release at that time too. Like how much broader that body of work could have been um, for some of them, because I'm sure while they were privately um, going into a a, a sort of a sort of more personal space away from commercial music uh now artists are doing that and it, it it's it's widely available to the public and we get in, you know mentioning radiohead like our ability to hear that 
that large canon of music uh, from artists like that. Yeah, and I think speaking of play, and then just, you know, sort of the aspect of control, uh, not, not to go on too deep of a tangent here, but you look at the Beatles having their own record label, like they were able to get more experimental, whereas you have someone like Elvis who signs on with movies and then, you know, he's contractually obligated to kick out just, you know, pop stuff every time, every, you know, month before he has a new film coming out. And so it's like his film catalog or his music catalog kind of got a little bit, uh, you know, uh, decreative, <laughs> if that's not actually a word, but, but, uh, the, the, the artistic integrity of what <laughs> maybe Elvis could have been putting out, uh, was diminished because of his contractual obligations, uh, you know, that he got himself into. So, so now you have artists like Radiohead or, you know, independent artists that, ha you know, either have their own record label or self-release that are able to get more experimental, change up their sound, uh, and, and dive deeper into fun spaces. I think we're oh, in a absolutely, really, absolutely really cool time for music for that. Um, so Josh, how about you? What did you choose? Uh, you know, it has to be Barbie girl. Uh, oh, okay. No, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but well, it's kind of fitting that we're actually recording this on mother's day. Uh, and Derek's was inspired by his mother and, uh, mine was as well. And for me, it was more of a, a delayed onset reaction with this particular album because I grew up with it. We had literally two LPs in the house. One was Journey Frontiers and the other was ELO Time. And, you know, I grew up listening to both of those. They were just kind of on in the background because, you know, literally the only two LPs that we had. You know, I, I just kind of grew up thinking that everyone else heard this stuff as well you know kind of ignorance of kids thinking that what they experience everyone does uh and it wasn't until i was in high school and um you know i i started to experiment more with music beck was another big uh influence on me at that time and just sort of mm -hmm. eclectic blending of music and then in conversation i'm like oh yeah you know it's like elo and my friends are like what is elo I'm like, oh, it's Electric Light Orchestra. Like, how do you not know who this is? And so I break out the LP and like play this prog rock masterpiece that's, you know, equal parts symphony and synthesizer and, uh, and a disco beat and, you know, just a little bit of French lyrics in there. It's just everything you could want in good music is thrown into this and, and play it for them. And it kind of blew their minds and it, it really kind of grounded a history in in a lot of the indie stuff that was coming out now that we thought was just so creative and innovative and groundbreaking it's like well actually this from the 70s and you know early 80s uh like there's an impetus yeah. for that and so it spawned me diving deeper both into new music and also older music and anytime i would meet someone and, and i was going to high school in oklahoma uh which you know the flaming lips are Kind of local heroes when people would be like oh i love the flaming lips i would automatically say like ah well you need to listen to this album elo time you know they're obviously on different wavelengths but there's that same kind of creative uh you know no holds bar when it comes to music it can be equally you know uh, classical and pop mentalities blended in the same song and you know just whatever the artist is feeling like that creative freedom and just artistic bravery to put something together 
that maybe isn't going to be commercially successful was a really big impact on me, you know, developing my sort of discernment of music and, and my taste for discovery. So definitely ELO time. One of the best that is albums. a great album. I think we've had uh, many discussions about ELO. I was kind of a late bloomer to ELO and <laughs> time, time was finally the, the, uh, the last of the three albums that I, I think based on your, your feedback that I needed to own uh, the other two being El Dorado and oh, I'm going to forget new world record. That's what it's called, right? New world okay. record. So yeah, those are the, those, those are the yeah. three. Uh, El Dorado being the one that, that seems to resonate with me uh, most. But um, your love of that sort of very diverse, dare I say, sort of experimental side of these bands, uh, has, has, it, has it really informed how broad your taste uh, in music has become? Like how, 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 sort of, how sort of wide it is? Because there is, as far as I can tell, in talking to you, there is no genre of music. There is no type of music. There is no sound that is that is that is very off-putting to you, to your ear. Yeah, I mean, other than a lot of the stuff coming out of Nashville <laughs> that's called country music right now, yeah. like that's that's the hardest thing for me to love. But I mean, everything from you know Swedish black metal to just absolute bubblegum pop, like the Bay City Rollers. You know, it's. Uh, everything in between. And, and I think it comes down to just really being like uh, an empathetic person and also a fan mm -hmm. of sociology and cultures. It's like, I like to be able to, you know, sort of space explore and drop myself into these subcultures. And if it's uncomfortable at first, uh, that's usually a good thing. Cause I know that there's something I can learn uh, when I go into, you know, this new category of music and, and so I'll challenge myself to like, all right, well, I don't really like this or I don't get it, but what is it that I, yeah. I don't get and how can I get it? And, and then you walk away. I mean, you know, again, you're not going to like everything. Not everything is for me. Uh, and, and that's perfectly fine, but it, it expands your horizons and at least you can understand why you don't mm -hmm. like it more than just a gut reaction. And you've given yeah, it a fair and, shake, right? Yeah, and I think it's wonderful that that's something that we all share and that we all bring to this discussion. Uh, that there certainly is a is a respect across uh, so many different forms of music, so many different genres. Uh, in fact, we in, in the lead up to this, we were talking about sort of the death of genre, and I, I know Derek, you had a lot of great points about how how that not being boxed into genres has really widened what we're all listening to in contemporary music. Right. Right. And, and I think that, you know, I don't think there's, I don't think there's like, like what, uh, what Josh was saying, there is no, and like you were uh, echoing also, there are no genres of music. There's just music that you click with that clicks with you. And there's, there may be music that you, you may not click with. And to me, it's, to me, it's all timeless. Like, cause once you record it, once it's laid, once those tracks are laid down, there is no, I think at that point, the linear progression stops. Once it's put out to the universe, it's a part of the universe. Mm -hmm. There is no, to me, there is no past, present, and future. It's just all a part of that stew. Because how many bands that you you kind of listen to and they sound like this, but and they could be, and these these people may not have no idea who who their predecessors were or who someone likens mm -hmm. them to yeah you know 
they're just making music that felt right and fit with them. And someone says, oh, well, you're just, that sounds like, you know, we're always trying to connect the dots and trying to see where people have influences from and, and, and all that kind of thing. But to me, once that track is laid down, it becomes timeless at that point. Yeah. You know, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't become new music anymore. It's just, it's just music. I was listening to uh, Willow Smith the other day, and she has this new uh, collaboration with Tyler Cole. And it's totally punked out, totally punked out. It's like it's it's punk rock, and it's it's such a a a uh, it's different from what she was. Uh, it's different sonically, but not substantially than what she was doing before. Because she's always, I think, her music's always been trying to push the envelope and trying to trying to express, you know, how she feels. And this is kind of the album's called Anxiety, and it just dropped. So what? You, I don't think that you can, if, if you pick the word to uh, encapsulate 2020, anxiety is a pretty good descriptor um, <laughs> <laughs> for a lot of people. Because things, things have, have, have been, it's been, everything that we know has just been like thrown up in the air and it hasn't come down yet. So, you know, it's, it's a great album. So anyone uh, a fan of Willow Smith or you haven't heard of her, definitely check out uh that album the uh the release anxiety it's, it's pretty interesting i think both you guys if you haven't heard it will find it be quite interesting yeah you know what's uh, crazy to me and i respect both about you and john is that if anyone else had come to me and said hey willow smith just dropped a new punk album it's what 2020 is all about i'd have been like shut the hell up and get out of here because that sounds insane. But coming from you, I'm like, oh, shit, maybe I have, you know, kind of done the thing that I say I don't do and just sort of prejudged someone as, you know, just sort of pop and just kind of, uh, you know, daughter of Will Smith doing, uh, you know, sort of her rich privilege getting to play with what she wants and there's no artistic right. credibility behind it, you know? I think that's diving a whole lot deeper into a lot of issues I have with growing up poor in rural Arkansas more than her artistic talents. But uh, just being able to, without even batting an eye, to to give someone like Willow Smith the you know the credit of creating a punk album and not being so uh, limiting on those kind of genre, you know, whereas like if, if you're a punk rocker, then, you know, the, the kind of scene people that always dress punk rock and, you know, feel super <laughs> individualistic, but they all look the same, right. uh, you know, like being able to, to appreciate that for what it is, but not being confined to it, uh, is, uh, is something I think, I think all music listeners and lovers should strive for just so you're not missing out on something that's potentially great so thank you for that recommendation yeah, and, and the thing to remember out. regardless of our economic or econ our social economic position or who our mothers and fathers are aren't we all rebelling against something <laughs> <laughs> you know we're, we're all raging against something it mm -hmm. could be you know i'm not saying that's particular her reason but you know, how how many of these kids of rich people you see who rebel against or resent their wealth? You know, it it it, it man. I'm not saying that that that's the reason, but once you're dropped, once you come out of that womb and you're human, then you get the right to express yourself any that you want to, regardless of your zip code, because mm -hmm. we're all going through stuff. 
uh, regardless, whether we're rich, poor, uh, in between, privileged, uh, not privileged, we're all struggling to become ourselves uh, daily. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I take it. Um, I mean, she's just, uh, just, she's a teenager or she's a young woman now who's just trying to figure it all out regardless um, of everything or in spite of everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, you think about um, that sort of, that sort of bravery in rebellion, meaning that bravery in music. And it really, like when you, when you, when you zero in on that, that to me is where these lines are either blurred or completely uh, uh, destroyed when you talk about genre, because there's cultural influences that are so beyond the type of music that's being played. It's the time, it's, it's the time in which the music was created and also how people were reacting to it. Um, and that is, that is community, right? I mean, that is why Josh, your point about punk rock and, and, you know, even though, yes, the, the, the sort of fashion and the look often gets uh, included in the conversation, uh, the more important part of it is how did it, how did it help shape these communities uh, in a time that there were bigger things that were being talked about, uh, both within the music industry and outside of the music industry. Yeah, it's kind of fun to think of music as uh, both a, a timeless thing, like you were saying, Derek, but then also as a specific frame of time, you know, or like the idea of the Tesseract, uh, where you get in that and every, you know, fraction of time is preserved as, you know, a, a plane a, within space time. And you can go back and look at that one thing. So looking at music, a specific piece of music, album, song, artist, outside of the context, mm. placing it into your own context. So you get sort of all your, like, like my obvious uh, inferiority complex of, you know, rural poor education, uh, putting that context onto something, you get, a, you get one perspective and one kind of, you know, enjoyment or annoyance out of it. Uh, but then when you take that and you put it into the context of where it was made, who made it and the time it was made, then that's where you can get, uh, you know, more holistic appreciation mm -hmm. of what, that did at that time and how it progressed society. And so, and those things don't have to mesh completely. Like you can completely appreciate something for the historical context and the importance of it uh, in, in its actual context, but you should also mm -hmm. be able to appreciate something in your own context, interpret it however you want and just make use of that art in a way that benefits right, you uh, personally. <laughs> okay, so, so far we've got Al Green, We've got ELO, uh, a little bit of Journey, Willow Smith. So this John, this, this what, kind of this conversation your... leading up to, to to my part here is is, is excellent because it very much is about uh, for me it very much is an album that both um, helped me make sense or actually maybe it made it more confusing. There were more conf there were more questions to ask on a personal level. But, when, uh, you know, years later, looking back and understanding the context of of when this album was recorded, uh, there are some themes that, as we've just been talking about, are universal, especially with youth culture um, and uh, just trying to make your way in, in, in what is often a very confusing 
a, a very confusing time as you're approaching adulthood. So for me, uh, there were there were so many uh, places that I would that I was that I was going to go to. One was you know an experience like going to a concert, or seeing Sonic Youth at Castaic Lake in California. It was a beautiful evening. It was just it kind of opened my eyes to to sort of a beauty beyond the the the, the audio. It was, it was this beautiful visual uh, experience that I had. Um, and, and, and then also just looking uh, at music from more, sort of an academic standpoint, which is something that can sound dry and, and bland, but it's something that I certainly enjoy doing, just sort of taking a look at these, these lines of, of music like punk rock. Uh, but for me, uh, in 1971, uh, David Bowie released Hunky Dory. And th- I, 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 I recall in the early 90s, um, uh, uh, David Bowie had sort of enjoyed this renaissance in the late '80s, where there was a where there was a look at his 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 older body of work. Um, up until that time, if you had sort of just zeroed in on like a you know like a five or six year period, especially uh, with kids who are maybe 17, 18, really the only knowledge like 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 real um, intense knowledge they had of David Bowie was his '80s output. You know, uh, you know let's. Let's dance and 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 songs and albums like that. Mm-hmm. Um, when I heard Hunky Dory, though, uh, uh, there's so much in there. There was so, so much about gender dynamics, so much about uh, just the confusion of being uh, of being a, a a young person, and every song had some meaning uh, had some meaning to me. And as I look back on it, I think that that experience with the album really uh, created a line for me. It was a line where, uh, yes, I was still listening to my peers and I was still listening to the radio. And, 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 I, and I certainly wanted people to tell me what they thought I should listen to. But I also found myself uh, wanting to discover more, you know, just on uh, sort of this, this new platform of, of Hey, this is me. This is me, and this is what uh, this is what obviously resonates with me. And I want to find out more about this. Um, uh, for those who are who are unfamiliar with the album, it uh, it, it it really it, it you know it predates the Aladdin Sane Ziggy Stardust period. Although the band uh, with the album uh, is still the same, you know, led by obviously Mick Ronson and David Bowie, that that beautiful beautiful. Uh, duo um, who produced so many, so so many, so much great music. After, um, also interestingly, I, I, I did not actually remember this. Uh, Tony Visconti did not produce this album. Um, and uh, Tony Visconti would be sort of his uh, David Bowie's collaborator and producer for for, for decades after uh, and until his death. Uh, Tony Visconti actually produced David Bowie's last album, Black Star. Um, but there is. There is a messiness in this album. Uh, all the songs kind of, there isn't a real cohesive theme throughout the album. There certainly isn't a cohesive sound. You go from anything like, you know, Eight Line Poem to Kooks to Beauty Brothers, um, which was probably the song that really hit me the most. I mean, some of the, some of the lyrics in that, uh, it was just pure poetry that really took me outside of processing music as just uh, just entertainment, right? Like you know, um, there was just so much more in that, and I really think that it's from there that I began to listen to 
jazz that I really, you know, picked up uh, people like Eric Dolphy and Ornette Coleman and Charles Mingus. And it was, it was, it was kind of this world opening to me where I, I didn't have to tell anybody what I was listening to. I didn't have to prove my, um, my music credentials to, to any of my peers. It was simply something that resonated with me that I knew was beautiful yeah. and that I wanted to pursue even more. Uh, like you were saying, like you, it, you didn't need anyone else's, uh, you didn't need to justify, you know, why I like something. And it's kind of funny because there's a, I was reading Lou Reed and he has this, uh, he has this quote, which I think fits, uh, is so apropos as, as, uh, to what we're talking about. And I would like to read his, his quote real quick. It's like, uh, this, this is what, this is the quote. It's life is like Sanskrit read to a pony. How can anyone learn anything from artwork when the pieces of art only reflects the vanity of the artist and not reality? I don't like nostalgia unless it's mine. And I think that it hits a nail on the head because mm-hmm. it's it's your experience. It's what you like. You take all you take on the world and it's filtered through your perspective and through your understanding of it and how you how you kind of move through this you know space time continuum and you're and you're constantly learning and unlearning and forgetting and remembering and responding and reacting, you know, to things. And music is one of those big things. I think for for all of us that we respond to and kind to try to understand or try to find songs that kind of fit us, fit who we are. And sometimes those songs help us grow. Most of the time, those songs help us grow. And uh, it, it's all it's all it's all um, it's all personal when it comes to music. So you don't have to listen to anyone else's. Uh, you can take your your recommendations but the final verdict on whether you are going to cotton to that thing is is always yours yeah yeah and i think that's one thing that you know a lot of podcasts and you know music reviewers uh kind of poison the well for people that are on the cusp of being you know music enthusiasts you know everyone has music in their background but a lot of people don't identify as music lovers uh like like we do and i think a lot of that is because uh it can be intimidating because there's a lot of intimidators out there uh like you know i went to fine art school for college and one of the things i hated was that we would have to present our pieces of artwork, you know, whether it was a painting or a film or or a sculpture. And we had to tell people what we intended to say with this. And, you know, I was more interested in like, what do other people get from it? You know, it's one thing if I have a perspective on a piece of art that I'm trying to explain. But whenever it came time for us to critique famous pieces of art, and we didn't have a direct quote from the artist of what they were doing, I would interpret a painting or a piece of art one way and my professor would be like, no, that's, that's not what they were saying. They were saying this, but they had no like documented proof. It's just like they were the expert at understanding art. That, that can be really frustrating for someone who's like, well, I don't see that at all, you know, but I kind of, I liked it because of this. Does that mean I'm an idiot and I shouldn't value my own interpretations or my own appreciation? And the answer is no. Like whatever you get out of something, 
that's what should be gotten out of it for you. You bring all of your internal context, all of your internal uh, understanding and meanings and interpretations, and that adds validity to any piece of art out there. And, you know, like I said, uh, I'm very eclectic taste, and a lot of things I like are not cool, uh, you know, quote unquote, cool to the uh, music snobs uh like when i was heading down to walmart to buy my diet mountain dew today i listened to kid rock and i turned that shit up and you know what i had fun doing it and i have no regrets about it you know and then when i come home i can put on my uh you know very avant-garde uh jazz record and and vibe to that as well and and each one is equally as valid an experience of music yeah this idea that an artist is somehow creating a piece of art that people can understand <laughs> sounds to me like the death of art. Like, how can an artist go into that, into that, uh, whatever mm-hmm. it is, creating a song or creating a painting or, or whatever else, thinking, thinking like, oh my God, if, 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 if they don't get it, I've failed. Uh, and certainly, I think that for a long time, that uh, uh, record executives felt like that that was their role, right? To determine where's the single, where is the song that is going to uh, that is going to be the biggest, uh, that is going to hit hard. And we've learned throughout history that that record executives are, are uh, you know, are wrong <laughs> or can be wrong. Maybe not every time, but certainly you look at stories like you know Kate Bush, right, uh, with her first album be, yeah. and releasing Wuthering Heights. There was no, there was no, mm-hmm. I, there was probably nobody outside of Kate Bush and maybe a small inner circle that thought that Weathering Heights was going to be the hit that it became, uh, and that just goes to show that uh, if the artist is staying true to their vision, whatever message they're kind of com- trying to communicate, whether they tell you or not, uh, it's up to us to trust the artist uh, and to take that ride, uh, and hopefully we get it as well. I think, well, I think it's more important for the artist. I mean, yeah, damn what we think of it i think it's most important for the artists is to trust themselves and stay true to their own um uh vision of what they're doing um because i'm I'm kind of you know it's like i think the whole specter of of award shows is debilitating you know it's just like how can you pick the best album of the year What's the best new album? What's the best new song? What's the best new? That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, uh, first of all, all the artists aren't even going to make the final cut, whoever's cut that is, because you have a you have people that are doing stuff every single day. You have some artists that didn't even sell uh, a thousand records. So you're saying, but that could be that that could be a wonderful album, <laughs> but you got someone. But you're saying because of how everything <laughs> is is. Uh, how the record, how the music industry is kind of uh, structured, that you only get to listen to the people that are on those labels, yeah. <laughs> the people that are going to make, you know, you know, you're only going to listen to a a, a, right. a a very limited amount of artists in the first place, and whoever they're pushing at that particular time uh, usually becomes who sells more records because that's what people are hearing. Uh, it doesn't mean it's the best. It, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything. It just means that this is music. Also, I cannot at the end of the year say this is the best album of 2019. I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's like billboards top 100. It's like, that's just a reflection of how well your promoters did and what kind of marketing campaign, like 
did you go out with a really cool VR music video? Uh, right. At the right time? Did you get used in a Volkswagen ad? The responsibility of the listener, right? Like we also have a responsibility in how this whole thing plays out, you know, the recording process and the, and the music, uh, uh, the music releases. Because if we accept that this is all we have, because it's all we're being shown, uh, then we're very limited. But if we do take the time, and I understand that not everybody has the time to scour the internet and, 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 and look for new bands or, or new songs, but certainly if we want a, an opinion and a voice about who is successful and who isn't, I, I don't know what that means, but, but we, you know, we play a part in making sure that the artists that we love and that we respect and we want to hear more from uh, are being heard. And I think that that is really the, 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 um, the underlying message in this podcast is we are trying to have that discussion, right? Right, like be able to bring some new music, hopefully, um, and 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 some older music that, that people may have not considered. Have a conversation about it and maybe excite uh, some people uh, and interest some people into listening to these songs or listening to these albums. Um, and I think that uh, I think that because of our diversity in music taste and our diversity and experiences with music. Uh, I think that at the very least, this conversation is going to be, uh, is going to be fun. <laughs> um, my hope is that it's very informative uh, as well, but really, uh, you know, hearing from you guys that are listening that like, wow, I, I, I didn't know this existed. And, and, and I didn't know that this, this was going to, this was going to hit me as hard as it did. Or, or that are going to feel something uh, at this particular time from that piece of music. I mean, that is that is the reward that um, that I will take. That is just that's that's beautiful. And and also, <laughs> anyone saying I wish I didn't know this existed. Why did you <laughs> expose my ears to this trash? You've ruined my life. I would like to hear a lot of comments <laughs> like that. I want to ruin people's lives. Well, uh, my, just my thing, I think my my um, the 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 thing that I want to leave with with uh, our listeners is that I want to give people the freedom to listen to whatever the fuck they want to listen to. Yeah. You know, you don't have to be, you don't have to like what your friends like. Yeah. You don't have to like uh, what. Uh, everyone else likes. You don't have to like. You don't have to listen to American Top Forty and say, "Well, that's that's that." It doesn't matter. Whatever is out there, whatever resonates with you, you don't have to. You can go off the beaten path and blaze your own trail when, in regards to to music. Um, I just want people to kind of free up and kind of uh, expand their horizons. And I'm going to end with a, another uh, Lou Reed quote. And he says, you got to blow the roof off your heart and let the universe in. Yeah. And there you go. Bang. That's, that's it. That's a beautiful so, one. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, um, we, have some, uh, we have some music for you. And we will, uh, we will be back again. Again, we'll, 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 try to, we'll try to bring some themes to the show to keep, it, to keep the conversation on point. Um, and 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 sort of be able to deliver in a in a way that doesn't sound like just some crazy rant. Um, so we, uh, uh, but we'd love to hear from you. Let us know <laughs> if there's anything uh, in particular that you'd like to hear about. If you know um, if there's anything 
that uh, that you hear during the course of the show that piques your interest and you want to be a part of the conversation, you know, um, send us a message and and we absolutely want your feedback. Uh, this is a this is a community for us and, and and that's what we'd love to build. Thank you guys for listening and we hope to see you on the internet again very soon. Thank you.